Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shake needs to be in perfect the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. This week on the show, we'll break down what we saw from the boys during that wing. We'll talk news, we'll talk derby ticketing and injuries, and of course, take a look at this week's game between the Eagles and the Adelaide Crows. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week is Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm much better than previous weeks. Yeah, I actually, I messaged you over the weekend and said, you know, when are we going to record this week? Because for the first time in ages, I was actually looking forward to talking about the game. It's funny what a week, they always say a week's a long time in football, but it is funny what a difference in mood a week can make. We'll, of course, talk about the Sydney game shortly. We'll be previewing the Adelaide game a little later on, but things are starting to look up. Also joining us this week, we've got another debutante from Big Footy. Please welcome TY24. How are you? Badge Miguel, pleasure to be here, boys. I'm happy to be making my debut after a win. I was feeling pretty uh, uh, pessimistic about things a week ago, but like you say, a week's a long time in footy and things are all of a sudden looking a bit more rosy, so... Looking forward to it. Very much so, absolutely. Look, T.Y., before we begin with the episode, just a few questions off the top, which we have been asking to new guests of the show, just getting to know everybody a little bit better. To start us off, T.Y., why don't you take us through how you became an Eagles fan in the first place? Uh, Well, growing up in Country WA, obviously, there's nothing but Eagles and Dockers, especially back then. That was before the days of all nine games being broadcast, so it was sort of just Friday night, Saturday night, and then the two WA games that got shown on TV. Growing up, I was actually uh, a bit of a North Melbourne fan until I was probably five or six, just because I copied my old man, as all young kids do. And then watched the 2005 Grand Final, burst into tears when we lost, and sort of occurred to me that I had a bit of a soft spot for this West Coast team, and haven't really looked back since then. It's been uh, a bit of a joyride up and down through the years, but the ultimate success in 2018 made it all worth it, I think. Very good. Now, over those years, do you have any favourite Eagles players that have stood out for you? Uh, Josh Candy, for me, uh, growing up, being the uh, the six-foot kid, Amongst a bunch of small fellas, I was always plonked in one of the goal squares, normally the full forward goal square. So uh, Josh Candy was sort of the player I tried to model myself off and uh, looked up to a lot, and he's definitely not the worst role model out there. I can think of plenty of worse full forwards to try and emulate. So I'd like to think I gave it a red-hot crack. Didn't really end up going the way I would like with my footy career, but I gave it a go. <laughs> That's it. Uh, now, you mentioned the 05 Grand Final as a vivid memory, but I would dare say it's probably not one of your favourite memories. What is some of those favourite memories that you've had as an Eagles fan over the years? Oh, 2018 Grand Final is the obvious answer, so I'll try and steer away from that. In terms of the best game I've been to, I've been lucky enough to go to plenty of games, especially throughout 2018, 2019. Uh, round three versus Geelong, which was uh, the game that Dwayne Johnson famously said Tim Kelly scored against the team that didn't want him. Dwayne Russell, sorry. not. Uh, that was a great game to be at because we obviously had Fairly comfortable lead, blew it as we did really regularly throughout 2018 and 2019 and then managed to crawl back with a a player down on the bench to snag a close victory in front of a packed house. And that was, to this day, the loudest experience I've ever been involved with. Um, Left the game with a bit of a migraine, but all worth it in the end. Great game of football. Very good. Well, vivid images of 2018 there, and perhaps we'll see the Eagles start to turn the corner and and get into that sort of form again. We will kick things off with a review of Sydney, but just before we do, if you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so through Big Footy, through Twitter. You can follow us at WCEBFpod. You can jump onto iTunes and give us a rating or a review, a subscription. It's all appreciated. And also very shortly, we are pursuing Spotify. So if you prefer to listen to your podcasts on Spotify, we'll be coming your way on Spotify very shortly. But for now, let's drive on with the show. West Coast Eagles, 11-11-77, defeated Sydney 6-7-43. We've all touched on it now. 
a little bit pessimistic last week, but the boys knuckled down. They earned a very important win. Before we dive into the analysis of it, we've got a couple of three-word reviews from Twitter. Uh, people have been sending in their reviews of the game, short and sharp. A few good ones in here and definitely reflective of a positive fan base. About freaking time, up the coasters, we needed that. Hope springs eternal, youth at last, you little beauty, and my personal favourite one, very short and sweet, Jake the Snake. Miguel, it was a rejuvenated team. It was a team filled with a couple of key youngsters who played big games. We saw Nick Nat start to fire. The back line maybe found a little bit more touch as a unit than we've seen in weeks past. All in all, a pretty pleasant way to spend a Saturday. Yeah, I think you had my three-word response in there, which was, we needed that. Yeah, we'd said the previous week that um, uh, as bad as the Queensland hub experience had been up to that point, um, you know, if we could beat Sydney and beat Adelaide, neither of whom were travelling pretty well, then that would make us three and three. So we'd come back to Perth uh, in the hub with a, a squared ledger and basically start again. So, yeah, we can tick off step one of that, um, even though the opposition were um, pretty weak in some areas, particularly the ruck. Yeah, as you, as you ran through, there's a fair bit to like about the way we... Um, we got the win. That certainly wasn't early. It was looking pretty uh, pretty dire early, and it was looking like um, every other Eagles performance in Queensland we'd seen this year. Uh, no, there wasn't much run. There wasn't really any pressure around the ball. And then no, we, we got those two late goals from the two young blokes, Allen and Waterman, and uh, particularly Waterman, uh, his goal, no, massive, massive goal after the siren when you've got Jonathan Brown saying, yeah, he'll have to torpedo because I don't think he can kick a drop punt this far and then he kicks a drop punt through. That really lifted us and took us into the break on a high and then uh, from then on I thought we pretty much uh, controlled the game, played the game in our tempo, uh, albeit it took a little while for that to, to show up on the scoreboard. And we and to do that, a man down as well and, and you know our, our skipper and one of the prime movers in the midfield down for three quarters uh, and away and with really the season on the line. I thought that was um, really good showing from the, the players. We'll come on to that shoey injury a little bit later on in the review. Uh, but first, TY, I thought we would unpack the game from Jake Waterman, from Oscar Allen. Uh, Waterman, his first chance for the year. Allen, we've seen in and out of the side a few times now in 2020. But 11 disposals each. Oscar Allen finished with three goals, Waterman with two. But as Miguel's just touched on, that one on the quarter-time siren could well prove to be... Uh, as decisive a turning point as a season as you ever get. Because we could look at that two weeks from now, perhaps, and say, yeah, that was the moment that things really started to lift for the club. So what did you make from those two young forwards in round five? Oh, well, Jake Waterman, I think he's been a bit of an unknown to the majority of the competition. He hasn't really done a hell of a lot when he's been given the chance at AFL level, apart from, I recall him kicking about three goals in five minutes against the Bulldogs one day. But other than that, I think we've rated him internally at the club quite highly, and I, I recall going down to watch uh, the Beagles play against West Perth at Lathlane, and that day he kicked about six goals, had 27-odd touches, I think. So we've seen what he can do in the lower leagues, a bit like Jared Brander in a sense. He just hasn't really taken the opportunity when he's had it at AFL level, which is probably why he's been a bit in and out of the side. But that game he played on Saturday against the Swans was the best I've seen him play ever at that level, and he definitely announced himself to the competition as... Not only a great father-son pick, but just a great young forward who we can rely on for years to come. As for Ozzy Allen, well, he's been much more pronounced at AFL level. He's uh, put in a number of key performances for us over the, the last probably two seasons. And that mark he took in the first quarter in the, where he calmly slotted afterwards as well, was very Nick Rewalt like took the ball at the highest point. His, his body was actually shaped like a C, which was a bit uh, squeamish to watch, but... Great hang-up and, yeah, reminded me of a young Nick Rewalt, which if he's doing that at his age with a forward line of Josh Candy and Jack Darling to learn off, then the future is looking extremely bright up forward for us, especially when we've got young talent like Ryan Jones, uh, Rioli, depending on how that goes, and uh, young Jared Cameron as well. It's looking pretty rosy for us down there at the moment. Now, Alan also, of course, spending a bit of time in the ruck. He finished with seven hit-outs, but... As usual, just gave his all in the ruck. Not a particularly strong Sydney ruck division this week, Miguel. We touched on last week, I think it was KK who predicted Nick Nat would be our best on ground. It's finished that way in the coaches' votes, a perfect 10 votes for Nick. He's come away with 11 disposals, 39 hitouts, 7 clearances, 5 inside 50s. He almost kicked an absolute ripping goal, but it was taken away on score review. All in all, Miguel... Our ruck performance, and specifically Nick Nat's performance on the day, 
really shifted the balance of this one, I felt. What was your take on that little battle internally? Yeah, just his score review was hilarious because it actually wasn't touched by an opponent on the way through. It was touched by Josh Kennedy's beard. Um, so Kennedy missed a couple of goals himself and uh, and then his beard managed to rob Nick Nat of a goal. Um, but yeah, he was obviously the driving force. Little He's been good all season, um, but it's a little difficult to, to gauge his uh, performance I don't know that I would have given him top votes just because he he really had no opposition. He had Alier Alier and uh, and McLean. Um, half the time they weren't even jumping at him, so he was really just you know, given free reign to to tap it down to his um, to his midfielders. He did early on in the the first quarter. He seemed to think that Josh Kennedy was our Josh Kennedy and not theirs because um, he tapped it down his throat a few times. But he he corrected that, and you know, from that point on, he provided the um, the real driving force out of the midfield. But um, the rest of the midfield, uh, when Shuey went down, lifted really well as well, I thought. Yo, I don't know what Simpson said to him at halftime, but he came out after halftime full of the angry pills and uh, he just went into beast mode, which is really great for an Eagles fan to watch when he does that. I love Yo when he does that. But I, I thought, um, just apart from Nick Nat, our, uh, our remaining midfielders played really well as well. Uh, Kelly probably had one of his better games for us. Um, I think we're still yet to see the best of him. Uh, Sheed got some more midfield time and um, really made use of it. He was uh, good in there, and um, yeah, we won the um, we won the clearances obviously pretty easily with uh, with Nick Nat's dominance. But um, even just around the ground, we we won the contested possession as well. Which uh, a it's not something that we've been great at this year, uh, and historically as well. And and b it's really Sydney's bread and butter with you know, guys like Kennedy and Luke Parker in the team. So. Yeah, just really pleased with our midfield's performance as a whole and maybe looked, uh, you know, I hate to say that you know, it looked better with Shuey out, but it, it did look a little bit more balanced. So, yeah, interesting to see how we deal with that going forward. Just finishing up on Nick Nat, you touched on, obviously, his, his opposition wasn't particularly highly rated, a couple of a, a bit of a makeshift ruck division there, but I don't think you can mark him down for that because if they'd have gotten on top of him, we would be absolutely going ballistic at him. So he did what he needed to do, which was dominate. Dominate he did. The first nine clearances of the game went 8-1 in our favour when he was on the field. We had 17 hitouts before they even got their first one for the day. 11 hitouts to advantage uh, to none for the Eagles versus Sydney's effort there. So, yeah, Nick Nat, awesome. Uh, he's been pretty solid all year. We've touched on, actually, this year, it is your gaff shepherd nick Nat trio that seem to be leading the way and another great performance from Nick on the weekend. T.Y., Miguel's just touched on the midfield balance. Now, it's not to say that we're better without Shuey because he was leading uh, the Eagles with disposals by the time he went off. He had a a game-high seven touches before he went off. But I agree with Miguel. I think the injury actually better balanced the numbers in the midfield. It's not a matter of subtracting Shuey. It's a matter of subtracting a midfielder. So what do you make of the midfield mix once we were forced into the change? What, What did you see that you liked or perhaps that you didn't like? And where does it actually leave us going forward, knowing we'll be without Shuey for, at the very least, one week? Well, when he went off, it would have allowed Dom Sheed to get more inside on the ball, which is probably where he prefers to play. He doesn't get the opportunity inside as much because of the dominance of Shuey and Yo, and now he's got Tim Kelly to compete with as well. But Dom Sheed's biggest strength is getting his hands dirty and getting the ball out, I feel, rather than um, being f- sort of crammed into that forward pocket, which we seem to love doing to Premier midfielders. And um, it was good to see Tim Kelly step up a bit as well because until Shuey went off, he was sort of a bit quiet and he has been quite quiet for us since since coming over. We haven't seen his best by a long way, I don't think, and he's still got plenty more to give. But I don't think we can expect him to come into a brand new system and gel straight away, especially when he's competing with so many other elite midfielders in Shuey and Yo. He might put Jack Redden into that bracket. And it also allowed Andrew Gaff to get more on the ball. And despite being a running winger who's great at delivering the ball inside 50. He doesn't mind getting in, getting his hands dirty either. He doesn't mind being in the coal face. It's not his A1 a spot, but he can do a role in there. He can get the ball out to your running wingers, to your Jake Watermans of the world, to your uh, Jackson Nelsons as he's coming off halfback. So overall, it probably was good to have one less A grader in there competing for the ball with the other A graders, and it just allowed the team to gel a bit better, I think, and... It'll make an interesting selection headache going forward. Having to pick between Yo, Shuey, Kelly, and She to play on the ball. Will be, it's a good, it's a good headache to have, but it's yeah, still a headache, I think. We will, of course, turn our attention to our proposed ins and outs, our selection when we do get to that Adelaide game. But yeah, I agree with you. There's there's a dilemma to be had there because for me, I think it's a matter of 
the numbers rather than the actual personnel. You know, if it's a matter of subtracting somebody rather than specifically saying, well, we function better without Shuey, for example. But you did see Adam Simpson and co go to a couple of interesting strategies like you touched on there, TY. We saw Gaff go to the coalface a lot more. Brendan Archie attended a lot of centre bounces in the second half, which surprised me, but he's come away with 16 touches and a decent little game there as well. Uh, three tackles for him and a clearance of his own. So they were willing to mix it up. There's some rumblings of a couple of interesting selection dilemmas on the horizon. We will touch on that a little later in the pod. Miguel, you touched on earlier in your general assessment of the game that the game was played on our terms after, after a difficult spell to start it, but we really worked ourselves into the game as we went on. Watching it back, it caught my eye. When Sydney kicked their goal in the third quarter, the score was 38-36. The Eagles were up 38-36 with eight minutes and 40 left in the third quarter. You go to almost the identical mark in the fourth quarter, so a full quarter of football later, the eight-minute and 20-second mark, we're up 76-36. We've outscored them 38-0 to in effectively one regulation quarter of football. Do we take a big positive from that, or is that actually a bit of a worry that it took a, a fantastic one-quarter blitz? It's not really... You can't expect to do that every week to just put up, you know, 40 to nothing on a team. It took that quarter blitz to separate ourselves from Sydney. Is that... A bit of a, a negative in a funny sort of way, or is it just a positive that, hey, the guys are back, we, have, we maybe will start to see they're able to work themselves into that tier of performance again going forward? Uh, I didn't think it was a negative so much. Um, I thought, yeah, after, the, after Waterman's goal at quarter time, that um, from then on we seemed to control play a fair bit better. Um, and it, it just took you know, that quarter and a half or so to, to actually get the, get the scoreboard to reflect that. Yeah, maybe that's our forward line maybe not functioning as well as it should. But, yeah, I was really impressed by the, the way that the uh, the pressure ramped up in particular. Um, you know, during the broadcast, they were showing that, what do they call it, you know, the, the pressure gauge stat. And it's a number in the hundreds, which I, I'm convinced they just sort of pluck a number as, you know, what it feels like. And it's not actually based on anything. But it did correspond to what you were seeing on the screen, which, you know, it looked like um, our effort was really up and we were trapping the ball inside forward 50 a lot more from quarter time onwards and I think Jermaine Jones who unfortunately is injured now has a fair bit to do with that but um, yeah the, the week before I think we got something stupid like three um, tackles inside our forward 50 and this week we got 15 so yeah that was impressive and so I, I think it was just sort of the the pressure of you know locking it in and getting repeat forward 50 entries and uh, repeat stoppages inside forward 50 which allowed Nat Nui to dominate and yeah, eventually the weight of that just overwhelmed Sydney and we were able to sort of open the floodgates a bit and put those 40 points on the board. But yeah, I, I definitely don't think it was a negative. I think it was um, just the eventual result of our dominance of most of the game up to that point. And TY, before we wrap things up on the Sydney game, we know they're not travelling the best at the moment, but equally we have Adelaide next week and then Fremantle the following week, each of whom have their own interesting struggles at the moment so perhaps we don't throw a parade yet and and, you know book the uh, grand final tickets just yet but do you take anything away from the fact that we did the business as necessary against Sydney or is it one of those ones where Sydney aren't going so well so yeah look we won but we still haven't maybe learned as much as as we might have well Sydney's always been a funny team for us we'd never seem to be able to beat them away ever really so no matter how poorly they're travelling, we'd always go to the SCG and usually get a touch-up. So it's nice to get a win over them away, even though it's not really a home game for them or anyone, really. It's a bit of a bit of an asterisk on it. But it's still nice to beat Sydney away from home for a change, uh, especially given the history between the two teams. But I think it's going to be a good platform for us to launch because now, obviously, we've got Adelaide um, coming up in the hub, which they're not travelling well in any sense of the word. They're just playing a bit like traffic cones at the moment. So you would hope that we can chalk that one up as a win. And then we come home for something like six or seven consecutive home fixtures at Optus Stadium, which will be um, pretty intimidating for anyone to come over there at the moment, especially if we're allowed to have 60,000 people there. So any sort of Victorian club that's hubbing will be dreading the idea of coming over and playing us at Optus at any time, let alone um, when they're not playing in front of crowds over there. So it'll be, it's a good platform. I think we did what we needed to do. And, um, it sort of had a bit of a 2018 vibe about it because that was the way we would win games. We wouldn't, be pedal to the metal for the entire game. We would sort of cruise, cruise, cruise. We would have a bit of a blitz and then we'd sort of hold on. And that we flagged doing that. So I'm not entirely concerned about the way we played. 
the start was very concerning. About 10 minutes through the first quarter, I was just about ready to burn my membership and throw the toys out of the cot. But <laughs> once um, once Jack Redden took an air swing at Josh Kennedy, it seemed to fire the boys up a bit, and it um, started looking a bit more like the Eagles we know and love. So I'm not overly concerned at all. Moving along in the show, it is time to turn our attention to a couple of the key stories that have affected the Eagles this week. The first of which has affected the Eagles fans as much as anybody, and that is a change in the derby ticketing policy, almost an impromptu change, right as the tickets were set to go on sale. So we had Fremantle members have their chance to buy derby tickets. Of course, the coming derby is the only one this year. It has been allocated as a Fremantle home game. All along, it's been discussed that this will be a 60,000 crowd, but on game day, or rather on, on the day that the tickets were set to go on sale, Miguel, we saw a very sudden change in policy. They've paused the ticket sales. The Eagles fans have not been able to purchase anything as of yet. It looks like it may be set for a 30,000 fan crowd, all Dockers. Miguel, what do we make of this uh, interesting change in dynamic? Well, we said a few weeks ago on the podcast that you know when they do get around to scheduling the derby, it, it should really be a 50-50 derby, given that it's you know there's only going to be one year. It, it seems a little bit unfair for one side to have you know, the, the majority of the crowd on their side. That didn't come about. We did get um, Frio offering the members, Eagles members, the opportunity to sort of get in before after their members had had a crack, but before the general public were allowed to have a crack, which would have um, evened up the numbers a little bit. Um, that's been paused. Uh, I haven't seen anything to suggest that it, well, um, I'll take that back because it, it's up in the air at the moment whether it will go back to being 60,000 and you know, we're just waiting for the government to tick off on it or whether they will limit it. I did see from Fremantle that they've already sold 40,000 tickets, so I don't know what happens if they limit it to 30,000, what they do there, but... If that does come to pass and it's a 30,000-strong crowd and it will be 29,999 Dockers fans and that one Eagles bloke who bought a Dockers membership um, <laughs> solely for the purpose of getting a ticket, then um, it's going to be a real challenge for our guys. I mean, it'll be a bit of a culture shock, I think, playing in front of that bigger crowd anyway, having played in front of just a few thousand on the Gold Coast. But, yeah, to have them all booing you and um, being you know, the usual feral Dockers crowd will uh, be a big challenge for them. But, yeah, look, hopefully the government comes to the party and opens up the uh, the ticket sales back to the Eagles members. As you said, it was sort of a last-minute decision, and I was sitting there for 20 minutes waiting for the bloody page to load before the news filtered through to me that it was never going to load and it had been suspended. So uh, it's a pretty selfish point of view, really, because they're making these decisions based on public health, not on my right as an Eagles fan to watch the footy, but... Yeah, hopefully they uh, they do open it back up to 60,000. Nah, Miguel, that is an inalienable right that we all have. We need to be able to go and see the footy. Uh, but the Eagles, of course, did not struggle last time out against a Fremantle crowd. Always a difficult split in the derby. You never really know, you know what exact percentage follows who, but Fremantle's last home game, we held them to two goals. Was it two goals, 19 or something hilarious like that? So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes to pass with that. T.Y., do you think they are going to change it? It's a bit hard to speculate, I suppose, on government policy, but they booked the Derby in because that was the first day we were going to have 60,000. There haven't been any community transmissions of COVID, but the big pressure is, of course, coming from this new wave in, in Victoria. But do you, do you actually think we will get to the point where we can have 60,000 at the Derby, or is this the next little hurdle we're going to have to deal with? Look, I'm not entirely sure of how it's going to play out. Like you said, it's a, it's a dynamic and fluid situation. It's constantly changing. And the rest of the country has been doing really well with their social distancing and COVID um, prevention strategies. And then Victoria has sort of just been sitting off in the corner eating a jar of glue. But yeah, I guess it comes down to how Mark McGowan's going to trust the hard border we've got because obviously these Victorian teams are coming over to hub with us and they're playing... They're spending their two weeks in isolation playing only against each other and only interacting against each other. So I guess that's the sort of best protocol they can say or they can put in place without saying, no, you have to stay in your hotel room for two weeks, which isn't feasible in terms of Gil's big plan. So I, I, I understand the concern and I understand both sides of the argument in the sense that they're making decisions in the, in the interest of uh, the public health because at the end of the day, this is just footy compared to uh, national biosecurity in a sense. So I wouldn't be all that surprised to see it stay locked at 30,000 just because that's the sort of hardline approach we've taken in WA um, to this COVID-19 pandemic. And I've been really impressed with the way we've responded to it as a state and by our state government. It's the first time I've ever been impressed by any sort of government policy in my life. 
So it's been good in the sense that we've had hardly any community transmission, and I think that that's, that's probably the, the stance that McGowan will continue to take. I think he'll err on the side of caution, and I wouldn't be all that surprised to see it stay at 30,000. It'll be disappointing because, like Miguel touched on, we crave the right to go and watch West Coast touch up Fremantle in front of their home crowd, but unfortunately there's bigger things to worry about in the world at the moment. Just before the Vicks do, of course, come here to Hub, we've seen them all leave the state and go to various places. There are a couple on the way now, of course, but there will be more coming in the next couple of weeks. Miguel, we've seen an interesting media dynamic this week as it relates to player welfare, players' rights, pretty much the entire attitude towards players being forced to move away from home for an extended period of time to continue along with the season. I'm going to ask this one to you because you were on with our uh, Vic Bias episode and we, we discussed in full the media aspect of that. To me, this is one of those ones that the media is playing more of a frustrating role than the players or the league or anything itself. The Victorian clubs have come to the party. They are all going on a hub. It just makes me laugh that now it's the Vicks going. Now suddenly we care about player welfare. Now we have to start considering that there's partners or young kids or babies on the way. You've seen people opt out, which is their right, but you're also seeing you know, everybody get on the back of these players and saying, oh, well, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it so tough. They're really, really fighting hard to keep this season going. You give them a break, you know, don't criticise them. Well, three weeks ago, Miguel, we were sooks for asking for a return date. So what do, what do we make of this entire dynamic? Whinging versus being brave versus being stoic versus going into a hub. Where do you sit on that one? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question because the media, even certain outlets in the media can't seem to make up their own mind. Um, we've had a debate over the last couple of days um, between you know, one columnist wrote that uh, it's unfair that, uh, that Victorian footy players are being... Uh, you know, treated like celebrities and they're allowed to leave the state and go off and holiday on the Gold Coast or Sydney or wherever while everyone else is uh, stuck in lockdown. Uh, and then uh, another journalist, or actually a lot of journalists, um, are up in arms with that and say, you know, it's not fair and it's unfair on the players. You know, they've been under um, pretty strict protocol conditions for, for months. You know, they're not going up there to holiday and so on. But, you know, those journalists are all writing for the same paper. So there's a bit of just generating content, I think, there. But... Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's certainly being treated differently. This uh, uh, element of uh, Victorians leaving their state and hubbing um, versus when it was the WA sides and the South Australian sides. I'm sure I'm sure there's a bit of Vic bias in that, but there's also a bit of um, learning. I think you know um, the Victorian sides and uh, the media will have learnt from uh, from our experience because it was a unique experience at that point. No one had had this sort of stretch of uh, five or six or really an indefinite amount of away games and you know, shifting shifting states and basing yourself in a different state. Uh, so I think the AFL and the media a bit has, has learned from that and that's, I think, probably why the, uh, the Victorian clubs were given uh, a, a pretty rock-solid return date because a lot of our, the Eagles' problems were put down to the uncertainty of you know, going there and being away from family and not knowing when you're able to return and might be there for you know, 10 or 15 or 20 weeks or the whole season and, and just the, the turmoil that that created in uh, in the players' heads. So, yes, there's a bit of Vic bias, but I think also there's a bit of learning and, and a bit of acceptance that these are the sort of sacrifices that players and clubs are going to have to make to allow the season to continue. TY, we've seen the AFL implement a 40-page document for families of players and all these sorts of welfare, well-being uh, initiatives, I suppose, as the Victorian clubs are going to the hubs. Is this me being paranoid and, and screaming Vic bias to anyone who will hear it, or, or where do you stand on this issue? Oh, I guess it's better late than never, but yeah, I 100% agree with you there that it's very convenient that it's come out in time for the Victorian teams to all um, ship off to their hubs, but uh, when our players were forced into the, the weird and wonderful wilderness of the Gold Coast, it was sort of just fend for yourself, put up with it, you'll do what you're told, really. So I, I can see where you're coming from. But I, I think it's a good thing that it's being done now. It's, obviously, it's too late for uh, South Australian WA clubs who have been so hard done by for so long. But any 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 steps the AFL takes to improve player welfare and player mental health is a, is a good thing in my eyes because I think men's mental health has been such a underappreciated issue in our society. So it obviously any, any sort of step in the right direction is a good thing. It just would have been nice if it was made for um, the original hubbing teams, as well as the uh, VFL teams that have gone over. A 
quick look at the injury list before we dive into our round six preview. And week on week, we're seeing some pretty positive changes in the injury list, it must be said. Now, of course, we did have Luke Shuey and Jermaine Jones with the hamstring issues out of the Sydney game, but all indications for Shuey is that it's about a one to two week injury. Jermaine Jones, slightly more seriously, listed at two to three weeks. Beyond that, we've heard positive news on Jared Brander, who's coming back from a hip injury that wasn't listed last week. Uh, Mark Hutchings is back on the training track, just building fitness now, two to three weeks away for him. Beyond that, gents, it seems like we're back to having a largely clean bill of health. There's plenty of players to pick from this week. Before we dive into the Adelaide game proper, Miguel, I know you've actually been working on a bit of a conspiracy theory there about some of our listed players and the availability, perhaps, of everybody on the list. Do you want to break that one down for the listeners a little bit? I've just got a question in my head about Jeddah, just because he was dropped dropped on form, supposedly, which you know his form wasn't great, but he, he certainly wasn't Robinson Crusoe in that regard. He didn't play in the, the scratch match, which... Typically, well, while we've we've been over in Queensland, every available player has played in the, the scratch match, including you know, guys that have been suspended from the AFL have, have fronted up for the scratch match. So um, there hasn't been a reason given that he didn't play, hasn't appeared on the injury list, hasn't appeared. I saw some training photos come out today and he wasn't in that. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him, really. I did listen to the latest uh, Will Schofield podcast whatever that one's called now. It's not back chat anymore. But um, the latest episode of that talked about um, Jeddah's dropping and the fact that he's uh, taken it on the chin and training really hard. So I suppose you've got to take uh, Scoey at his word for that. But, yeah, I don't know. If he doesn't play this week and um, we don't see him, then I don't know. The club's been good. I'll, I'll give them that. They've, they've been pretty transparent um, throughout this whole weird season. But they, uh, they have you know, disappeared players in the past. So I don't know whether that's happening at the moment. Goes all the way to the top. Really? Bill's Jettigate. Yeah. 2020. Uh, I think I think Bill Gates is also involved in 5G mobile <laughs> phone towers. So. Oh, we're through the looking glass, people. All right, moving on to the main event for the week. It is our Round 6 Clash this Saturday at 1.05pm WA time. The West Coast Eagles host, in inverted commas, the Adelaide Crows. T.Y., this is a very big one. We discussed just needing to tick off the Sydney game and move along. Adelaide are not in great nick at the moment. They're coming into this one on the heels of one of the worst games, I think, in living memory last week against Fremantle. Just god-awful. I could not recommend anybody go out and watch that one. But that said, we still are in a position of these games being must-win. We need to get out of the hub at 3-3. Three and three. We need to build our season from this long stretch of Optus. So there is a bit of business that needs to be done this week. What do you make of Adelaide? And as we're selecting our team to face the Crows, who would you bring in for the injured Jones and Shuey? What do I make of Adelaide? It's a pretty easy question to answer. Not much. Uh, they've been more or less, like I said earlier, a set of traffic cones throughout this season. They're, I believe after losing to Fremantle, the only winless team left in the competition. And we saw signs of this towards the back end of last season. And we saw signs of this when they were having uh, their little in-fight, in-house training scuffles, which... Uh, supporters of the club branded as a good sign, uh, which has gone really well for them. And they've they've traded away uh, one of their big key forwards in Josh Jenkins and their other key forwards, Taylor Walker. So up forward, they haven't really got a hell of a lot to offer. And um, as I believe also looking at the injury list that the promising young forward, Darcy Fogarty, who we made look like an absolute superstar at Optus Stadium last year, he is listed as a test. So I don't know whether we'll see him or not. If we don't see him, then that increases our chances even more because he's probably the only promising young player I've seen in the Crows forward line of late. Uh, Wayne Miller is also out for a fair while as well as Rory Atkins. So they're probably two of their more high-end players. Miller provides a lot of runoff halfback and he's quite dangerous when he cuts you up through the middle on the, on the rebound. So I'm glad to see him out. The other big question is whether, of course, we'll see the return of Matt Crouch, who was uh, dropped rather st- stunningly. If he comes back in, their midfield looks a lot better. But if he's being dropped, then obviously there's some issues going on behind the scenes there. Like you say, it's similar to the Sydney game, really. It's just a game that we need to tick off and win no, with no complaints. I wouldn't be too fussed if we just got through this with a three or four goal victory with no injuries. But at the same time, it would be nice to put them to the sword and build some percentage. So I don't I don't see us losing. If we, if we lose this game, then it's just going to undo all the hard work we put in last week and put us back to square one. So it's a, it is a must-win game, but I don't think it should be too challenging for us. In terms of selection, 
Uh, obviously, Shuey's going out. Janet Jones is going out. So for Shuey, I think the answer everyone's got at the moment is Xavier O'Neill. He's an exciting young talent who hasn't made his debut yet. And I'd like to see him make his debut, but we know the club sort of also tends to side with Braden Ainsworth as the sort of back backup go-to midfielder. And despite not him not going a hell of a lot in his AFL appearances, he is a reasonable player when he plays in the waffle and the scratch matches. So I wouldn't be too upset if he were given another opportunity, especially against the team like the Crows. Uh, up forward, Petrocelli and Cameron are the two to decide between for a, um, a Jones replacement. I'd like to see Cameron back if he's fit, even if he's only at playing 80% of his capacity. I'd still like to see him over Petrocelli. He just offers a lot more in terms of his disposal, his tackling pressure, just his uh, general ability. Petrocelli is, he tries really hard, but he's not, you can tell he's not a particularly natural footballer, especially when he's running at speed. He sort of butchers the ball a bit and he can be a bit of a passenger when the going gets tough. So I'd much rather see Jared Cameron. Whether you see him back is entirely up to the Medicos though. So for me, I'd like to see O'Neill and Cameron. I'd like to see Jetta back in for Nelson. As well, just his his disposal is so lethal, and I, even if he's having a bad game, he can cut a team open with one drop punt off half back. So, I, I enjoy Lewis Jetter in the team a lot more than Jackson Nelson. Now, Miguel, we've seen the club put out an article today with a couple of names. Uh, it's all stemmed from an interview with Luke Shuey. He mentioned that there was a little bit of an eruption, a bit of a roar from the boys before the match sim started, and it has fueled a lot of speculation that we're going to get another debutant this week. Although footage has since emerged of the announcement that Jeremy McGovern is going to be taking over as captain whilst Shuey is out. So perhaps we can put it down to that. In any case, there's a few names flying around. Nick Reid, Hamish Brayshaw uh, and Braden Ainsworth, who has debuted but of course hasn't played for a while. What do you make of those guys as potential inclusions to replace the injured Jones and Shuey? There's a few names that so I would have expected to also come up that haven't. Uh, and um, T.Y. talked a bit about O'Neill there. Uh, and you know, he's one that's sort of been close to selection. He, he played one of the preseason games. Uh, he would be a pretty good replacement, I think, for Shuey as someone who could come in, maybe fill the sort of role that, uh, that Archie did uh, in the last three quarters against uh, Mental Blank, who'd we play, uh, those guys. Um who the hell? It's Jesus. That's a, that's a really bad bit. It was Sydney. Um, <laughs> well, hang on. Is what? Did have you already forgotten who we played? Yeah, I, I've moved on. Right. You know, you take it one week at a time, and I've moved on you know, straight away to uh, to preparing mentally for Adelaide. So very good. Yeah, completely forgot that we played Sydney. Yeah, uh, yes. So uh, yeah, O'Neill could come in and play the you know, do the sort of rotations that that Archie did, and you know, play a little bit. You know, he's not a forward, obviously, but he could you know, fill in in the forward line as much as we had that happening. And that would be a pretty useful opportunity to debut him, I think. Um, Brayshaw would be in the same boat. You could do do that for him. Um, although he could actually probably play a little bit more midfield minutes. Um, he's a pretty mature body, very likeable around the club as well, apparently. And um, if the weather is going to be a little bit wet, uh, then he, uh, I think he refers to himself as the canoe. That's how well he goes in the wet. So, <laughs> uh, so he's one who could come in. Um, yeah, but the articles have talked about him uh, Reed, who must be training the house down. I have to say, I, I was um, all for us rookie listing him, but I didn't think we'd be using him this early in the season. But you know, if he's going to come in and play that Jermaine Jones role of you know just providing pressure and and maybe snagging a goal in the forward line, then yeah, that's a way they could go as well. Uh, I was surprised that uh, Anthony Treacy's name hasn't come up at all. Um, I would have thought. Uh, at least before they left for Queensland, that he was ahead of Reed in the, in the selection uh, pecking order. He played one of the, the preseason games as well, and he'd also sort of be a, a bit of a like for like replacement for Jones. So yeah, but he doesn't. His name hasn't been coming up, and uh, similarly, O'Neill's name hasn't been coming up, which is a bit disappointing. But uh, yeah, hopefully we enjoy seeing the new blokes come through. Um, we were a bit starved of it for a while there a couple of years ago. Um, we've had some good ones this year, and yeah, against a, a weaker opposition like um, like Adelaide, might be uh, a good opportunity to to bring someone in and just give them a taste of it. So for myself, I've got uh, Jared Cameron coming in, presuming that he's healthy. He's been off the injury list now for several weeks. I think there's been a lot of talk that he's raring to go, so I'd love to see him come in as a like for like for Jermaine Jones. And then I wasn't considering this prior to today's article, but it has swung me. The fact that Shuey brought his name up, I think, is probably 
a bit of an indication of where he's sitting in the pecking order. But perhaps we'll see Hamish Brayshaw this week come in for Luke Shuey. Like I said, I actually liked our midfield mix a little bit better once Shuey went out, just from a numbers point of view. So I wouldn't have an issue with them just going, for example, Cameron and Jetta in. You know, don't bring in another mid. Just, just you know, tweak it how we had for the remainder of that Sydney game. Bring in a Cameron and a Jetta. TY touched on Nelson. I actually really, uh, really liked what Nelson gave us on the weekend. Not so much from his game, but I, f- I felt that him staying back in a lockdown role, we didn't see a lot from Papley. We didn't see a lot from Ronk. Uh, I thought it allowed Duggan to move further up the ground. He was almost on ball for large stretches of the second half. So I think just having that, you know, set and forget kind of lockdown defender, he's not going to give you too much going the other way, but you can kind of rely on him to be pretty dogged in his defence down the back. And then you let Duggan and the Shepherds of the world move up a bit. I actually wouldn't mind retaining Jackson Nelson. So the two changes for me, Cameron and Brayshaw in, and then Jones and Shuey out. I could also do Cameron and Jetta as well. Miguel, your changes for the weekend? Uh, one guy that we haven't talked about in that context is Brander. Um, did appear on the injury list with, was it a hip? A hip going into his back or something, and he's a test. Uh, if he was fit... Um, you know, the selection committee has stood by him to this point in the season. Uh, would you bring him in, plonk him back on the wing and allow Redden to go inside a bit more? I mean, I've been saying for weeks now that I think Redden should be inside a lot more. I think that's more his game than the uh, than the, the outside wing role that he's been playing all season. But bringing Brander in, keeping all of the tall forwards that we played does possibly make us a bit too slow. Although, yeah, then we're talking about bringing Brayshaw in as well. Uh, I did have my changes were going to be Cameron and Brander for Shuey and Jones, but I think everyone, including myself, has talked me around into bringing in uh, Brayshaw and uh, debuting him, and then Cameron if he's fit. Otherwise, probably just recalling Petrocelli for uh, for Jones. And, yeah, just with Jeddah, I agree with um, with your comments. I did originally have Jeddah coming back in for Nelson. Um, just on the basis that I didn't think he should have been dropped in the first place. But, yeah, that, that back line really did probably work as well as it has all season uh, with the combination we put out there. Nelson allowed Duggan and Cole a bit to uh, uh, to be a bit more attacking, and, yeah, it worked really well. So we'll leave Jeddah out. He's probably not – he's been abducted by the lizard people anyway, so he's unable to <laughs> – uh, he's not available for selection. <laughs> all right. It's that 5G on the Gold Coast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. We'll move along to looking at Adelaide. And this is the section of the pod where we usually set aside a couple of key players. We decide who we're going to match up with them, try and shut them down, how we're going to minimise their impact. TY, I'm looking at the Crows list here, and I've got to say there's not a lot on offer for this segment of the pod. You look at the Crows as a whole, they touch the ball the least times in the leagues, the fewest disposals in the league. They score fewest points in the league. They get the second uh, fewest clearances. They're last in inside 50 differential. Then you turn to a more individual point of view. Uh, of course, the coaches' votes, obviously each coach gives out 5-4-3-2-1 every game. So there's 30 votes up for grabs in any given game. The entire Adelaide list has combined for eight coaches' votes through five games. Eight of 150 possible votes. It is staggering at the moment when you look at all of their stats and all of their leaders in different categories – uh, one goal per game is split between a couple of players. That's their best goals per game ratio. Both the Crouchers get it a lot, but do they do too much with it? It's kind of entering into that old Pritis argument a little bit for the both of them. Sloan's been turning the ball over a lot more this year than he has in the past. There's just not a lot on offer here when I'm looking at it from a tagging point of view or a who do we need to be aware of, who do we need to be cautious of. Tell tell me something. Tell me anything about Adelaide that I need to look out for on the weekend. Tell me why this shouldn't be a bloodbath. Well, we don't need to worry about Taylor Walker because we've seen the Sun does a pretty good job on him, so we can just leave him to his own devices. The only one that I have any sort of concern about would be Brad Crouch and possibly Rory Sloan. Like I touched on earlier, Wayne Miller is not in the team, so he's their most dangerous player when he's rebounding off half-back or winning winning the ball in midfield. Very damaging disposal, so he's not there to worry about. Rory Atkins, whether he plays his touch and go. Uh, Darcy Fogarty, whether he plays his touch and go. So... Yeah, it's really just Brad Crouch, Matt Crouch, maybe if he comes back in, but who knows what's going to happen there. They might pull a Swifty on us and put him back in. They might stick to their guns and um, drop him because the team's not playing well. But, yeah, it's really just going to be, I think we might see Elliot Yo play that sort of defensive mid-roll 
loosely around a Rory Sloan or a Brad Crouch. He'll probably rack up 12 tackles and have 20 touches himself, which will be good to see because, as Miguel touched on earlier, when Yo's angry and when Yo's in beast mode, it's a treat to watch for everyone. Jonathan Brown commented on the weekend how he just looked looked switched on, looked angry, looked aggressive, and that's when Elliot Yo plays his best football. So I don't think it's a I don't think that'll be a treat to watch if you're in an Adelaide jumper. But yeah, possibly not. But oh, I think I think you sort of just stand stand in you know shock and awe really. But the other one is uh, Riley O'Brien is is probably Nick Nat's biggest threat outside of Brody Grundy. So that'll be an interesting battle to watch, assuming he plays. Uh, he's a very talented young ruckman, and it'll be good to see Nick Nat come up against some uh, actual competition this week, rather than having the roving to him, well, the ruck work to himself, and having the other ruckman stand and watch. So it'll be good to see him get tested, and it'll also be good for Oscar Allen to have a test against a, a really high quality ruckman as well. Even though, even if he is only pinch hitting, it still will be a great experience for him to get get a hit out against a really high quality opponent. I think so. Yeah, like I said earlier, I'm not overly concerned about Adelaide, and if we don't win, then there's something seriously wrong. Miguel, given that there is actually probably not too much to look into Adelaide, they've fallen off a cliff. You're seeing article after article about these camps still. There's this off-season camp from years ago. Like T.Y. touched on, there's a bit of infighting. There's a lot to be said about Adelaide off the field, on the field, much less so, unfortunately, for them. But they are a team that have always played us pretty closely. Last year, we only beat them by 12 and then by 10. Uh, in the various games. They, of course, beat us in 2018 as well. So it's a side that we've struggled with a little bit in the past. We put a hoodoo to bed against Sydney to some degree. Do you expect we'll see the same out of the Eagles this week against the Crows? Uh, look, I certainly hope so. Um, the one area that I think they do match us in at the moment is probably their back line. They've been under siege a little bit over the, the five weeks of the 2020 season, um, but... Uh, Talia is a previous All-Australian defender. Hardigan's a uh, very good stopper. Tom Duday's uh, come back into the side. They've got Laird and Luke Brown down there. So uh, that's one area where they can match us, I think. And maybe if, even if we're dominating, you know, if Nick Nat's dominating in the midfield and uh, you know, Kelly and um, I was going to say Shuey, he's not playing, obviously. Kelly and Sheed and uh, and Co uh, get on top in the uh, get on top on the midfield. They you know, their backline might still be able to stop us from scoring, so that's one area that I think we um, we need to be wary of. But yeah, look, having seen, um, I didn't watch all of their game against Fremantle because I just couldn't, and yeah, um, feel really sorry for the uh, the American viewers in particular that were you know, that game was being broadcast to them in prime time, and you know, that's the that's the game they got. So um, that's probably killed off any efforts to grow the game in America at the moment. Um, yeah, Adelaide are. <laughs> Adelaide are really struggling. Um, they're bottom of the ladder. They are looking, uh, to all intents and purposes, like a bottom of the ladder team. Um, and, yeah, really, we, we should get the job done. And I hate going into games with any attitude other than, yeah, we need to get the four points. But this is a really good opportunity not only to get the four points but to um, to get our percentage back up towards 100. And um, that's really what we should be looking to take out of the game. All right, we'll go around the table. We'll throw out some tips. I think everybody is quite confident. Uh, Miguel, you touched on it there. Always a little bit of a worry getting your hopes up for a massive blowout because sometimes they don't deliver. And sometimes, like you saw uh, in round two against the Gold Coast, they really, really don't deliver. But nonetheless, I think the Eagles are going to have a big game this week. I'm going to say they're going to win by 36, which isn't a huge margin given how, well, insulting we've been towards Adelaide, frankly. But... I just think the shortened game, it is a little bit harder to build those leads. That interesting stat keeps floating around. Once you get a 20-point lead this season, you will win the game. So I think it's a matter of starting early with a club like Adelaide and really making them feel like they're just going through the motions for the rest of the game. Because once you get a 20-point lead, you are pretty much uncatchable in this shortened format, it would appear. So for me, I've got the Eagles by 36. Elliot Yo for best on ground. He was in great form last week. He had five Brownlow votes last season against the Crows as well, five of a possible six. So really, really strong player against the Crows. Their midfield has, I really, really like Hugh Greenwood is basically where I'm going with this. So their midfield has gone backwards a little bit in my estimation. He was always a player who could mix it up physically with Yoey. And I think now that he's pissed off, the midfield dynamic looks a little bit better. This could be another good week for him to get off the chain. T.Y., your prediction, and who is going to impress us from an Eagles point of view? Well, I think we should win this fairly comfortably. I'm hesitant to pull the 40-point-plus 
margin out because, simply because every time I put that in a multi bet, it never happens. <laughs> so I'll I'll wheel out the uh, I'll go with thirty nine point victory just to keep it on the safe side. Uh, in terms of who's going to impress us, Josh Kennedy has been sort of just quietly biting down that forward line, and last week had an absolute shocker. He could not have played worse if he tried. In terms of missing from ten meters out and then beating Nick Nat's uh, goal through for a point. So I think he's he's taken to Daniel Taylor in the past, and I would like to see him do it again. So I'd like to see Josh Candy kick a bag, and I'd also like to see uh, Elliot Yo, like we've touched on. I'd like to see him have 12, tu- 12 tackles and 20-plus touches, and even you know a goal on the run from 55 wouldn't go amiss either. Very good. Pretty low bar for Yoey this week. Uh, Miguel, yourself, who is going to star for the Eagles, and, well, by how much are the Eagles going to win? Uh, yeah, we've all gone in the 30s. I went with uh, 34, which was our margin against uh, that team that I, whose name I couldn't remember earlier. I'd, yeah, we just do that again. I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, so us by 34, and I'm going to say Tim Kelly. We're still yet to see the Tim Kelly that we saw at Geelong, but yeah, against weakened opposition, uh, Nick Nat flying, midfield flying, um, probably a little bit more responsibility this week in the absence of Shuey, and yeah, I, I think he'll step up and uh, and yeah, show us why we uh, we gave up all our draft picks for him. That will do it from us this week. Miguel, as always, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on to share your insights. No worries, and uh, thanks for letting me come on after I begged to finally come on after a win. Well, hopefully there'll be many more wins and many more episodes featuring yourself in the near future. T.Y., that's the debut in the books. Get the Gatorade out, mate. We're all ready to go. Sing the song. How did you find it? And thanks again for coming on to share your views. Yeah, no, it was a good, good experience, like I said Pre-show, great to finally put that broadcasting greater use on a internet forum podcast, but you've got to start somewhere, I suppose. It's No, it's been great to have a, a nice footy-driven discussion and uh, looking forward to hopefully coming back in the future. If we get a big win on the board, I reckon you might be on here. We had, we've had a few individual posters who've got their own certain curses. Last time we had a debutant on, we were playing a very lowly-ranked or lowly-rated side on the Gold Coast, and then the Suns turned around and thumped us, so... Fingers. Oh, geez, I wish you hadn't brought that hey, up. Hey, um, I've got to be impartial here. I've just got to say what's going on. So, T.Y., fingers crossed for you more than anybody this week, but also fingers crossed for the Eagles that they can continue what looks to be a season turnaround with a nice victory over the Crows. We'll talk to you next week. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so through Big Footy, through Twitter, through iTunes, and in the very near future, hopefully, through Spotify. Send us through your three-word review of the game after our hopeful victory against the Crows, and we will talk to you this time next week to recap it, to preview a derby, and to chat all things West Coast Eagles. Bye now. Bye. Bye.